Registration has surged on the government's COVID vaccine booking system, which opened up to everyone 18 and older on Tuesday. In just two days, more than 6 million adults have registered their vaccine preference on the system. So far, nearly 60% of registrants only want Moderna. On Wednesday, the health minister implored the public to be open to whichever vaccine is available. And currently, that's AstraZeneca. There are more than 1.4 million doses in stock, enough to vaccinate every registered person over 40 years old. Meanwhile, only about 281,000 Moderna vaccines remain, but more than 5.5 million people have registered for a dose. At present, there's only enough Moderna to vaccinate registered people who are 63 and 64 years old. As of Wednesday afternoon, more than 4 million people have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. That's about 17% of the population. Taiwan reported 17 new local cases of COVID on Wednesday, a new daily low since the start of the Level 3 alert. With infection numbers on the decline, the Central Epidemic Command Center has given conditional approval for adult daycare facilities to reopen. Facilities like psychiatric care and rehabilitation centers will be allowed to reopen if public health measures are in place and 80 percent of employees are vaccinated. Local infections are at their lowest since the start of Level 3, seemingly on track to drop into the single digits. But on Wednesday, Health Minister Chen Shizhong said not to expect zero cases anytime soon. Once there is community transmission after infections happen in the community, it is extremely unlikely that there will be a return to zero new cases. Asymptomatic cases are in the community. At any point, there could be new cases people found due to their symptoms or people found through testing. Reaching zero new cases is not our goal. Even last year, even when we had a long streak of zero cases, zero was not our objective. Chen stressed that the goal was not zero new cases, but containing the virus within set parameters. The CECC also announced that five types of health and welfare institutions, including long-term care facilities, can reopen as long as 80 percent of their workers are vaccinated. They must also implement public health measures, such as managing the flow of people at care services and disinfecting all vehicles. Institutions must also have systems in place to report any suspected COVID cases. Under the current epidemic prevention and management guidelines, staff at these institutions are all part of the fifth priority group for publicly funded COVID vaccines. So under our guidelines, at least 80 percent of staff needs to have been vaccinated. Taiwan also reported 10 imported COVID cases on Wednesday in arrivals from Myanmar, the UK and Japan. Health officials said the rate of imported cases is increasing, possibly due to the rise of new variants overseas. The Taipei Expo Dome vaccination clinic is officially open, located next to the Yuanshan MRT station. The exhibition space has been transformed into a mass vaccination site that can inoculate 14,000 people a day. Its first session will be held Wednesday and Thursday, and later sessions will be scheduled as needed. Let's go to Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe. Uh, 
There are two time slots offered each day, and they can vaccinate 14,000 people. If we make it three time slots, morning, afternoon, and evening, we can reach 20,000 people. In the future, if Taipei needs to really ramp up the vaccine drive, we'll just set up another clinic at the Taipei Expo Park. That should be enough. The current session is open to adults 65 and older. The venue is expected to handle 20% of the city's vaccine bookings made for Wednesday and Thursday. Well, it's day two of Taiwan's partial reopening. The Taipei MRT says ridership is up by more than 10% compared to last week. Motor vehicles are also surging back, with traffic on major arteries in the city rising by 9% week on week. A doctor warns that crowding is a risk factor for viral spread and that Taiwan can't afford to let its guard down. Here at Taipei Main Station, long lines file onto a train, which is even more crowded inside. Passengers are decked out in masks and even goggles for extra protection. The crowd has at least doubled. Before, red line trains were fairly empty. Today, there's nowhere to move to if you want to maintain a safe social distance. I've had to find myself a corner to face so that I'm not facing the crowd. The data shows that on May 19th, when the Level 3 alert was extended nationwide, passenger volume on the Taipei MRT dropped from 590,000 to 430,000. On day one of Taiwan's partial reopening, passenger volume jumped back up to 490,000. Because the train schedule remained reduced on Tuesday, commuters found themselves standing shoulder to shoulder. In contrast, the Taiwan Railways Administration added 26 train trips to its schedule to meet demand. Early morning on Wednesday, passengers were dispersed on the TRA's platforms, and social distancing was possible on trains. With the phasing out of remote work, the famous scooter waterfall is back at Taipei Bridge. According to Taipei's transport department, traffic on main city roads has risen 9 percent since last week. A return of crowds means a return of risk. On social media, Zhenxing General Hospital physician Tian Zhixue warned the public not to let down its guard as it could lead to a viral resurgence. An earthquake of magnitude 5.2 rattled Hualien's Ji'an Township at 6.52 Wednesday morning. It was followed by a string of aftershocks, 34 of them by noon, according to the Central Weather Bureau. A dozen of them occurred in the span of just one hour. Let's hear from a seismologist. Today at 6.52 a.m., a magnitude 5.2 earthquake occurred about 5 kilometers south-southwest of Hualien City, at a depth of 5.9 kilometers. This earthquake was actually not part of a new seismological sequence. It was an aftershock of the two magnitude 5.4 earthquakes on July 7th and July 8th. The Central Weather Bureau says all of Wednesday's earthquakes were aftershocks, even the ones higher than magnitude 5. In Hualien, no casualties were immediately reported, but violent shaking sent objects tumbling off shelves. The CWB says the county should be on the alert for even more aftershocks to hit over the coming week. Will electricity prices go up this month? The decision will be made at the end of July at the earliest. Last month, higher summer rates were suspended as a COVID relief measure for household users. The price freeze cost 1.4 billion NT, which Thai Power has absorbed. 
This month, power use reached an all-time high, meaning losses of more than 2 billion NT if the price freeze continues. The sun on full blast. The first thing most do when they arrive at work is turn on the AC. Then on go the lights and all the computers. It can get expensive having staff work in an office. But as one electronics company discovered, having some employees work from home isn't cheaper. Have we saved on the electricity bill? I can only say no. After all, you still need to have to turn on the AC and the computers. Some employees may not physically be present, but they remotely connect to the company's computers. So you've still got to turn on the computers in the office. Here at this hotel, all the remote workers are back, just in time for Taiwan's partial reopening. Employees with children say they don't expect to save on utilities, since the AC still has to be kept on at home. Everyone is starting to return to office work, but those with children at home will still have a sizable electricity bill, because you've got the AC on 24 hours a day. It's so hot in July. In July and August, the electricity bill could reach 3,000 NT. Bills, bills, bills at home and at the office. On Tuesday, the first day of Taiwan's partial reopening, national consumption soared to an all-time high at 2.59 p.m., triggering a yellow warning on the grid. Besides the heat and the pandemic, another factor behind the spike could be public anticipation of a price freeze in July. Electricity consumption in July will be higher than that in June. If July rates are frozen, there will be a significant impact that we're still calculating. So far, Thai Power has not received instructions on the issue. If we are asked to implement this price freeze, we will do so. A freeze on summer rates was implemented in June, costing Thai Power 1.4 billion NT. Power use hit an all-time high in July, and Thai Power could lose more than 2 billion NT if the freeze is extended. If rates are frozen all summer long and service sector bill exemptions are continued, Thai Power's losses stand to exceed 11 billion NT. The National Palace Museum has partially reopened to the public following the easing of Level 3 alert. Visitor numbers are vastly curtailed from the norm, with a maximum of 200 visitors a day. All tickets must be booked in advance, and there are lots of other restrictions on the normal running of the national institution. The museum directors and visitors say they're delighted to see the museum open once more. Many people are longing to get back to public spaces and institutions like the National Palace Museum. After too long cooped up at home, some families have come out for a day trip as soon as they could. Compared to places like cinemas, I feel it's more spacious here in the National Palace Museum, so I feel safer here. So that visitors can feel relaxed as they stroll the exhibitions, the museum has adopted a strict one-entrance, one-exit layout. All visitors must book in advance for either the morning or afternoon. There's only 100 tickets available each half-day, and one individual can book a maximum of four tickets. Bookings are open until July 25th. You can drink water outside the exhibition rooms, that is, in the corridors or other public spaces. Eating and drinking is mostly prohibited in the museum, but water can be drunk in public areas. 
Museum going is thirsty work after all. However, the water dispensers are not in use. The museum restaurant is only offering takeaway. The Children's Arts Center is closed too, along with all interactive and touchscreen based exhibits, and there are no tour guides working or even pre recorded audio guides to rent. When it's better, we can have up to 2,000 visitors a day. The National Palace Museum is very strong in this way. We can attract lots more people to come and visit very quickly. Visitor numbers are drastically restricted, but the museum's directors are confident it will be back to its old strength when the timing is right. For now, they're taking things slowly and reopening gently. From July 15th to 18th, multinational art group Ravenel will hold its postponed spring auction virtually due to the pandemic. What will this year's event feature? For Mosa News reporter Stephanie Yang shows us the highlights. Ravenel's spring auction was delayed this year due to the pandemic. It's been rescheduled to take place on July 15th to 18th. Going under the hammer on July 18th is masterpieces by Zhu Dechen and Zhao Wuji. In the spring auction, we included Zhao Wuji's works. It includes work from the Oracle period in the 1950s. We estimate the value of this Zhao Wuji work to be in the range of 55 million to 70 million NT. The auction also features the world-acclaimed Japanese artist Yoshitomo Nara. The auction features his piece Entitled, which is currently his largest work on the auction market. In this Yoshitomo Nara work, I believe everyone knows that he opened a large-scale exhibition in Taiwan this year. His work has caught the attention of many long-term collectors. In his work, we usually see drawings of little girls with tired eyes. Another featured artist is Spanish artist Javier Calija. The wide-eyed boys in Calija's works are a reflection of himself. The works he creates are boys with big eyes. Actually, this portrait is an extension of a self-portrait of the artist himself. 180 pieces will feature in the Modern and Contemporary Art Showcase on July 18th. From us News, Stephanie Yang, Chen Bohan in Taipei. The easing of Level 3 restrictions is welcome news at local temples across the country. Down in Jiayi County, Xingang Fengtian Temple is open to visitors once more. But there's a host of hygiene and social distancing measures, such as no more than five people are allowed in at one time. Temple guardians want to make sure a trip to the temple is safe for everyone. Religious adherents arrive at the temple. They register with their name, get a forehead temperature check, and use disinfectant. Inside, they must follow a one-way route through the main hall and Sanchuan Pavilion, but can light incense as they pray to the goddess Matsu. Several months ago, the temple guardians had a Matsu shrine erected outside the temple building. They set up a temporary outdoor prayer pavilion, which was in use for two months. Local street vendors complain it hurt their business. Now, as restrictions lift, Matsu has been ushered back inside the main hall, but visitors' movements are strictly managed. We've got a limit of five people inside the temple. The government has a limit on the number and we keep it at just five in fact. If there are more than five visitors, people have to wait outside until someone else has finished praying. Then they can enter. Yes, our measures are people must take the temperature before entering. They sign in with a QR code. 
use disinfectant and wear a mask. Although level 3 restrictions have eased, the temple is keen to maintain COVID safety measures as much as possible and keep within all the rules still laid out by the government. Taiwan's best track and field athlete for a generation is just weeks from his first Olympics. At the 2017 Taipei Universiade, Zhen Zhaochun threw the 13th longest javelin in recorded history. Now he's finally got the chance to show his medal in sport's biggest arena. This was the astonishing throw that won Zhen Zhaochun the Asian javelin record, 91.36 meters, number 13 in world history. It would have won gold at the last 10 Olympics. The last track and field Olympic gold for Taiwan was Mexico City 1968, when Ji Zhen clinched bronze in the women's 80-meter hurdles. After 53 years, the nation's hopes are now pinned on Zhen's golden throw. 2019 was the crucial year for Olympics qualifiers. Zhen shone in the Diamond League, winning one gold, two silvers, and one bronze. In Shanghai, he threw 87.12 meters, becoming the first Taiwanese track and field athlete to win a place at Tokyo. Then he threw 89.05 just because. But 2020 offered an unexpected hurdle in the form of COVID. Of course, athletes can be a bit lazy sometimes, thinking, there's loads of time. But that thought is always wrong. If I keep on pushing them, then during training they won't be careless. There were no tournaments. When you see others in tournaments, then you get that fighting spirit in training. That's the spirit I want. Jin hardly had a chance to compete in 2020. As Tokyo approached, his coaches arranged a series of test competitions for him and his teammate Huang Shifeng. The mock Olympics with a realistic schedule gave them a chance to get in the zone for the real thing. Zhao Tsun is one of those types that don't frazzle easily. Given his personality, I don't worry much about him, because even when he performs badly, it's not that bad. And if he really completes the move properly, then it's like it was two years ago at the Diamond Series. He brings out that potential he has. Injuries kept Zheng from the last two Olympics. Now 27, he's finally got his shot at the biggest honor in the field. As he steps out with the world's best into Japan's national stadium, let's hope he pulls those 90 meters out of the bag again.